We're going to read verses, excuse me, yeah, we're going to read verses, First uh, Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 8 in just a moment. Would you please stand in honor of the reading of God's Word? Peter writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. Though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with with glory. Father, we're thankful for the reading of your word today. We love it when your word is highlighted in our worship services. We're, we're thankful for, for a guide that you've given us, a book that you've given us to reveal yourself, commands to follow, ways we can be more faithful to you, glorify you, and edify one another. We're thankful for your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. So the signs of the season are indeed all around us this morning. And I want to give a special thank you to those who worked hard to decorate the building. You notice outside and, and the sanctuary itself, there are too many names to name there. I'm not going to go down that road, but, but I, want, I want you to, if you know somebody that was involved in that, Carla, be sure and thank them, Travis, be sure and thank them for all their hard work and, and, and leadership. So Christmas is here already, and I, I love it with all its joy and, and celebration, and I know you do too. There's so many things that we love about Christmas, and I wish we could take the time to just stop and, and share testimony, but let's do this this morning. I want you to think for just a second about something you'd like about Christmas, and then with one word, I want you to just call out from where you're seated your favorite thing about Christmas. Go. Do it again. Come on, whoever. Keep going. Jesus' presence, music, family. What? Somebody's honest. They said food over there. Is that you, Larry? Yeah. There you go. Football. I, I don't really care to follow football, especially college football, especially the college football playoff series that Alabama's in this year. I don't, I, don't really, I, don't really, I don't really follow that very closely. Talking about the best things about Christmas, for me, my favorite has to be memories. Memories. There's so many things that I like about it, but memories from Christmas past. And you have them, we all have them, and, and they're of value to us. We treasure those memories. Memories of joyful and, and treasured times with those we love and, and with those that we've lost, if only while we remain in this old world. Which can, for some of us, make Christmas a, a complex combination 
of joy and pain. There's a part of us that grieves even as we joyously celebrate Christ's first coming. There's a part of it that very much longs for His second coming that we might once again see those loved ones that we miss so much. That's part of the promise that comes with Advent, that hope of a glorious reunion one day. The era of anticipation is something else I really enjoy about Christmas and love about Christmas. It just hangs in the air. A sense of exciting happenings just ahead. Many of the things you called out, family and food, the tree with gifts for those we love underneath the tree, wrapped just so, singing carols with our church family. Even the anticipation of even more wonderful and precious memories to embrace being developed in this time for the years ahead. And beyond that, Christmas reminds me that a new year is right around the corner. I'm really looking forward to our church family starting 2024 with the Read the Bible for Life kickoff event. And then to our church family reading through the Bible throughout the year every single day. And I'll be up here preaching about what you've read the previous year. And I can't wait to see what our Father's going to do to glorify Himself through a church that truly reveres and really reads and does their best to be obedient to what He reveals in His Holy Word. You watch as I lighted the candle of hope a little bit earlier, a flame burning to remind us of the hope that is ours as a result of the coming of Jesus Christ into the world. Hope is a precious commodity in our day, and it has been in, in, in every day. And it's such a part of our vocabulary. Some of us associate it with a, a negative connotation, like, well, I, I hope we don't lose this game, or I, I hope... We don't get lousy weather. I hope GW Way is not backed up again. Another way hope is expressed in our culture is seen when we talk about hope as merely something that we wish for, something that is probably not going to happen. Like, I'd like to get a new truck for Christmas. I hope the preacher lets us out early today. Not happening. I hope the politicians in Washington start getting along and cooperate on something positive for our country. We hope for a lot of things. Sometimes we even hope for things we already have. I've heard Christians say things like, I hope God can forgive me. I hope God really loves me. I hope I'm going to go to heaven when I die. But these common ideas about hope bear little or no resemblance to biblical hope. To understand our Lord's spiritual gift of hope is merely the state of happiness, or worse yet, to see it only as a mere potential and probably not going to happen for future happiness is a perspective that's more in line with the world, more in line with that of an unbeliever. The truth is that there is so much more to hope for us as Christians. The truth is that biblical hope is something distinctly different and so much more marvelous. And the Word of God teaches us about truth. And the first truth we need to understand is that we have a living hope. Many of us have a favorite team in some sport, and we watch them play, or win or lose, we might talk about their heart. You know, they just, those guys just play with a lot of heart. And we use the, the heart in that sense. We're talking about playing with passion. We're talking about with great energy that translates into unusual effort. And we take great pride, and rightly so, in our team's heart as it serves to fuel them to exceed expectations, to, to overcome adversity, to, to excel over a, a superior opponent. As believers, we have a living hope that God calls to dwell within us. 
middle of verse 3 says, He, that is God, has caused us to be born again to a living hope. And it's this hope that drives us to live as God's children should live, to trust in His promises, to, to face adversity with joy even. So just, just like with the athlete's heart, and it can motivate him or her to, to greater effort and to excel beyond their, their normal capabilities, this hope we have gives us motivation to live life in our efforts. Now listen, church family, this passage is one of those that is just so very rich. There, there, there are probably a half a dozen sermons here. You see that. I know you can. But today we're focusing on hope, and so we'll just have to come back one day and unpack all that richness. As we look at hope here, which this text refers, we've got to understand, first of all, what is the foundation and what is the source of that hope. We know that hope is essential for human survival. It gives strength needed to survive adversity and, and uncertainty. So through the years, there have been too many to count stories of individuals surviving unsurvivable situations fueled solely by their hope in a world marked by hardship, poverty, disease, hunger, injustice, disaster, war, terrorism. Genuine and dynamic hope is so very crucial. Ephesians 2.12 reveals that before we knew Christ, we had no hope, for we were without God. Now, now without this hope, we were dead in our sins. But now, born again through faith in Christ's resurrection from the dead, we embrace the hope of our own resurrection. So the foundation of our living hope is the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and our faith in that reality. Born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Christ from the dead. Now, church family, we, we believe in the resurrection because the Bible tells us that Jesus was dead and that he rose again. But there are some for whom the Bible's not enough. They want something beyond Scripture. For those who want more proof, I want to briefly talk about why we can call the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead a reality. We're talking about proofs for the resurrection for those who are skeptical. And I'm going to be brief here. This is a little rabbit trail. I'm going to be brief here and give you just three proofs that I believe belong at the very top of the list. And the first one is the empty tomb of Jesus with nobody ever found. And I want to tell you, they're counter theories, but it boils down to this. If Jesus was not, if not raised, then the Roman officials and the Jewish officials would have done anything and everything in their power to produce his body to silence the resurrection and to put a, an end to what they called the way. But in fact, we know they concocted a conspiracy to account for the lack of the body. And second, a female eyewitness account. No ancient author would have ever used the witness of a female for the proof of the resurrection. Women, apologies to my sisters in Christ who are here today, women were viewed as second-class citizens in the first century. Their testimony was not even allowed when it came to legal proceedings. Yet the Bible records that the risen Christ first appeared to a woman, Mary Magdalene, right? And then that testimony was used and became part of the biblical record. That could only be because there was no way they could refute it. And then third, and this is perhaps the strongest for me, the apostles never wavered even in the face of death. After the crucifixion, the disciples, they, they hid like cowards. They were so scared of what might happen to them. They, they'd killed 
their Savior. But when they saw the resurrected Christ in, in bodily form, there was this dramatic turnaround in, in their lives, how they lived their lives. Now, Jesus appeared to the disciples multiple times, perhaps most notably when he entered the, the locked upper room in Jerusalem. But then he was on, on the beach at the Sea of Galilee where he cooked breakfast, right? On the road to Emmaus. And, and then when he ascended from the Mount of Olives to his father. After seeing Jesus alive, the disciples came out of hiding and they began to act with boldness and bravery, buoyed no doubt by their belief that Jesus had indeed defeated death. They had seen him die and then he was alive. And when given the option to recant and recall his resurrection alive, instead they gave their lives. But we can be sure of one thing. No one willingly dies for what they know to be a lie. The ultimate, the foundation of our living hope is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The ultimate source of our hope, the ultimate source of our living hope is none other than our sovereign Father God. Again, according to His, that is God's great mercy, He, that is God, has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Say, I have a living hope. Amen. And beloved, it's so much more than wishful thinking, this hope. It's more than a straw in which we're grasping this hope. It's more than some pie-in-the-sky dream, this hope. This hope absolutely gives us life, gives us an energizing sense of who we are and whose we are and what our purpose is. Identity and, and purpose given to those of us who've trusted Christ as our Lord and Savior, empowering us to live the Christian life with persistent, from a persistent, hope-filled perspective empowering us to live faithful and, and obedient lives in a desperately wicked world that does not, that cannot grasp the things of God and is, in fact, hostile to God. This assurance gives us, hope gives us, strengthens us to confidently face the sin and the godlessness of our world. It provides genuine nourishment for our souls because there's the firm expectation that all of God's promises in Christ Jesus are yes. J.I. Packer wrote, The Christmas message is that there is hope for a ruined humanity, hope of pardon, hope of peace with God, hope of glory, because at the Father's will Jesus became poor and he was born in a stable so that 30 years later he might hang on a cross. The Bible teaches us then that we have a living hope. We also need to understand that we have a confident hope. John Broger writes, The hope that God has provided for you is not merely a wish, neither is it dependent upon other people, possessions, or circumstances for its validity. Instead, biblical hope is an application of your faith that supplies a confident expectation in God's fulfillment of His promises. Coupled with faith and love, he writes, hope is part of the abiding characteristics in a believer's life. Now, that English word hope is translated from the Greek word elpis. And for us as Christians, this word carries with it the idea of a joyful and confident, certain even, expectation. We're talking about salvation, expectation of salvation. So believers, we can and we should joyfully and confidently expect that the Lord will fulfill every single promise He has made to us, but more than that, that's to save us, to forgive us, to sanctify us, to perfect us, to provide for us, to guide us, to comfort us, but that He is also, as He has promised, even now preparing a home for us and will one day return 
then take us home that we might, we might be with Him for all of eternity, to reign with Him for all of eternity. That this spirit of joyful, confident trust in this hope resides within us, caused by God, and it is rooted, fueled by, kept alive by the promise of the Lord, by the, excuse me, by the presence of the Lord as He dwells within believers. R.C. Sproul writes this about the assurance given biblical genuine biblical hope provides he writes hope is called the anchor of the soul in Hebrews 6 19 because it gives stability to the Christian life but hope is not simply a wish I wish that such and such would take place rather it is that which latches on to the certainty of the promises of the future that God has made throughout his dealings with his people down through the centuries the father has always kept before us a hope that points to his son Jesus Christ from the garden where he first introduced the promise of redemptive hope his seed would eventually crush the head of Satan and deliver man from sin to Abraham looking forward with biblical hope remember we're talking about joyful confident even certain expectation looking forward to the promise that God had made that he told Abraham to look up to the heavens and count the stars if you can. So shall your offspring be. God promised Abraham, and Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. To the disciples who turned the world upside down, sharing the message of hope that they'd come to know in Christ. And today, beloved, this hope is no less ours than it was Abraham's or Peter's or the other disciples or Paul's. The question we need to ask and answer for ourselves is this. Are we living our lives in light of this joyful, confident, certain hope? As we continue to examine what the Bible has to teach us about hope, we need to also realize that our hope is a salvation-centered hope. We need to see that biblical hope is rooted in a right understanding of biblical salvation. Biblical salvation is an event that involves several things. Number one, the absolute and total forgiveness of all sin it brings us into right relationship with God. That's justification. Uh, the ongoing process of growth and, and maturation, that is our walk with the Lord as long as we live here on this earth. That's sanctification. The ultimate and final transition into heaven in our resurrected, glorified body, that's glorification. Uh, th this salvation-centered hope reminds us that we've been delivered from something. We've been delivered from the penalty and the power of sin. But again, now this hope of salvation should never be something that's only wished for, something we hope for, but do so with, with a hint of, or more of uncertainty. A lot of church members have this unclear, often wavering belief when it comes to their salvation, and they'll say something like, well, well I hope that I'm saved. Or, or, you know, I'm doing my best to be good, and I hope that's enough to get me into heaven. Well, what this reveals is the lack of that confident expectation we've talked about this morning. That is the sure and certain hope that is based on the immutable and controvertible promises of God as revealed in Scripture. Nowhere in Scripture do we find anything written about salvation as a hoped-for or wished-for proposition. Now, it's blood-bought believers who placed our faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. Our place in eternity is an unqualified, joy-producing certainty. This is your hope, believer. You don't have to wonder or waver. Don't say, I hope, I'm, I, I really want to believe that I'm saved. 
I believe I'm saved. Say instead, I know. I know that I'm saved. Say, I know. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that when I die, I'm going to heaven to live for all eternity with my Father who loved me and gave His Son to die for me. Beloved, your salvation in mind is not some vague notion, some, some tentative, ethereal, theological construct. Not, neither is it far away to be arrived at after only a lifetime of works accumulated to somehow pay the price of the ticket to get there. If you've made a personal decision to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, if He is the Lord of your life, your salvation is a done deal. Amen. Secured by faith in the finished work of Christ at Calvary. God teaches us this truth. When it comes to our salvation, we can live with confident, joyful expectation and assurance. Paul writes this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. But we can put our complete trust in what God says to us in His Word, for He cannot lie. In Hebrews we read, And so by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. We who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. So then the hope of our salvation is an absolute, irrefutable, unquestionable fact. This, this living hope gives us something to hold on to. It is a trustworthy anchor for our souls, a true promises that strengthens us and offers us something that's, that's real. It, it, it's a hope that we desperately need as we continue our walk through this world that is not our home. A hope that we desperately need is those sufferings that Paul mentions threaten to overwhelm us and defeat us. And last, we need to understand that our hope is a blessed hope. Now, you ought to be excited about the living hope that is ours in Christ Jesus, about the sure and certain promises that are ours in Him. But i got to tell you, it gets even better. It gets even better. Better than we could possibly imagine. We see Paul, as he writes to Titus, sharing with us a sure promise of a glorious future event that he refers to as the blessed hope. Waiting for our blessed hope, he writes, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Of course, he's talking about what? He's talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ. The time when he will come again to receive to himself all those who have given their hearts to him. What a, what a, what a beautiful promise for us to celebrate in this season of his first coming. And for those who remain, who are blessed to be alive at the return of Christ... The sting of death, which for them will be the tears of sorrow for those who have gone on before, will be gloriously wiped away as they're spectacularly reunited with their loved ones and with the Lord Jesus Christ. Meeting together at the sound of the trumpet call of Christ in the air and then heading for the home that they've always been intended to be, that's always been our destiny. Paul writes, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who do have, who have no, others do who have no hope. 
For since we believe that Christ died and rose again, even through even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Look, what a promise. We can know without a doubt whether we live until Christ returns or whether we die before he does. Either way, we are with him and with all of our loved ones who know him as Savior forever. Now that's a glorious hope. Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 4, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a loud cry, with the cry of command with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first then we who are alive who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so we will always be with the Lord therefore encourage one another with these words beloved we've seen that we have a living hope a confident hope a salvation center and a blessed hope a fourfold hope for us in this world in which we live as well as for the next because I want to tell you everything else will ultimately fail and fade away we spend morning, noon and night studying the great learned philosophers down through time and one by one count their ideas as flawed and futile mankind's great experiments with government and legislation have also proved to be a failure from republics to monarchies, to dictatorships, socialism and capitalism, communism and isolationism, and yes, even democracy, all fall short of providing real hope for mankind. All that the insufficiencies and failures of even the greatest human civilizations and their hopes for mankind do is to serve as a testimony to the fact that mankind does not have the ability to perfect government are to solve the afflictions that have tormented mankind down through the ages and still torment us. That's because those insufficiencies and those failures originate from a fatally flawed and inherently sinful nature. And the only hope for those who are controlled by that sinful nature is to cry out for hope, and there's only one source of help to whom they must cry. There's only one who can offer hope, and that is Jesus Christ, who was born into this world for this very purpose. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice with right, and righteous with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Beloved, this is the true message of Christmas. It is a message of hope. And it's that hope, a hope that apprehends our heart and our soul. We begin to see something. We begin to see that there is, there is no hope for this lost world apart from Jesus Christ of Nazareth the son of God he alone can provide for our deepest needs and he's done so he was appointed for that purpose and he accomplished it by a life of perfect obedience he never disobeyed his father he never committed a single sin he alone is pure without blame and spotless he alone was and is the holy lamb of God who alone is worthy to be praised as he faced the cross of Calvary, he stood before his accusers and he challenged them to bring any charge they might against him, knowing they could offer nothing but lies. And so he is our hope. 
and his suffering and death upon the cross, he accomplished what only he could accomplish. He finished what only he could finish. He, he paid the price that only he could pay. And so he is our hope. And then came the, the glory of his resurrection and ascension. And now he's seated at the right hand of God. And he lives to intercede for you and for me. And so he is our hope. And one day he's coming again. Though not as he came that first time, lowly and lying in, in a manger. Now when our Lord comes next time, it will be a quite different scene. John was given a vision of that breathtaking scene. And he recounts it in Revelation 19. Then I saw heaven opened. And behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it, is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. His is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, we're following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of the God Almighty, and on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And so he is our hope. Today he rules over a spiritual kingdom, but on a Sure coming day in the future, he will rule and reign over the nations of the world. And so he is our hope. For you and me, we can know that no matter how difficult the circumstances of this world might get, no matter how evil or hopelessly wicked the world around us seems, no matter how dark the day or how defeated we feel, Jesus Christ is and always will be the King of kings and Lord of lords, the exalted one. And one day every knee in heaven and on earth and under the earth will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so He is our hope. Would you pray with me? Father, we're thankful for the clarity of your holy word. For the pathway you give us to right relationship with you. For the surety of the promise of salvation that is ours in Christ Jesus. Father, I do pray this hope fuels us. Many of us face dark days even now. The world around us is in decay morally and spiritually it appears we fight a losing battle but Lord we know how the battle ends we know how the war ends we know that your son will be victorious and indeed rule the nations Father may this hope fuel us and drive us to live as obedient believers in him Father I want to pray for those who are here today and, and they've heard a message perhaps they've heard before they've resisted before perhaps a a great part of them resist even this morning. They've come to believe that this is true, and yet they are reluctant to yield 
to your son Jesus Christ. I pray today, Lord, that through the power of your Holy Spirit, you would break through their defenses, the defenses of the evil one that would hold on to them and draw them to yourself, to salvation in your son Jesus Christ, to hope, to a living hope of the resurrection of their own dead body one day. Father, I want to pray for those who are backslidden. We have folks here today, Lord, perhaps they have not been to church for a while. Perhaps they've been coming every single Sunday, and yet their faith is not where it ought to be. They're not reading the Bible like they ought to, Lord. They're not praying like they ought to. And they're just not as joyous about their salvation as they once were. Father, I pray today, this first Sunday of Advent, would be a turnaround day for them. They would repent and come back to you and all the fullness of their effort and energy, Lord. And we know that you have promised you will fill them. You've never left them, Lord God. You will welcome and embrace them as the prodigal. Father, I want to pray for those that are searching for a church home. There are those who, who they know they need to be rooted somewhere. And I'm thankful for many Bible-believing churches in this community, Father. Many options. And we want you to guide whoever might join anywhere, Father. Become a part of any family anywhere. We want you, we want you to guide that process, Lord. But we pray if there's some here today who have made the decision that this is the place they want. Richland Baptist Church is where they want to put down roots. This is the part, this is the family of faith they want to be a part of. I pray, Lord, that in just a few moments as we offer this time of invitation, they would respond and come down and take that very step. And we pray all this in the strong name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.